Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, me and my next guest will be talking about autistic strengths, what they are, and how they can help you in life, finding work and help you in school as well, and what school systems can do to identify those in students. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Esper Studios. Today, I'm joined with Sarah Wayland. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Reed. I'm glad to be here. So as I ask everyone on my show, so tell me a little bit about yourself. So I am, uh, so I started out life as a researcher, well, life after college. I started out life after college as a researcher, and I was working on how people understand language. And then I had my own kids and I kept thinking, you know, the way they're learning language is not how it's written about in the books. And, and I thought th th those theories of how people learn language must be all wrong. <laughs> it turns out that actually the problem was my kids were learning language in a different way than what is typical of how people learn language. And so uh, that was my first clue. Um, and long story short, they both, it turns out, are autistic. And because of my background in research and understanding how um, people who had had brain damage after stroke process language, it kind mm -hmm. of gave me uh, a vocabulary to understand what was going on with my kids. So I was trying to help my kids figure out, you know, how to, how to, you know, help them navigate the world, help the world be a little more accommodating to them. Um, then at some point I was like, man, this is really hard. And if I have all this background in research and it's this hard for me, like I can't imagine how hard it is for other people too. So I thought I would go into business and help other parents um, figure out a lot of the stuff that I had figured out. And so I got certified as what's called a relationship development intervention consultant. Um, that is a parent coaching model for helping parents connect with their kids. And, um, and then um, I, I don't know, I've been doing that for 10 years now and um, my kids are now young adults. And I have uh, a book that I just wrote with Donna Henderson, who I know you also interviewed. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it came out this summer and it's called, is this autism a guide for clinicians and everyone else? And Honestly, that book, writing that book was like one of the most helpful things for me understanding my own children. Um, it allowed me to have some great conversations with them about, you know, what their experiences were like. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about me. All right. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about your company, Guiding Exceptional Parents? So I, as I mentioned, I work with parents. I have three roles that I, I usually am in. One role is what I call uh, neurodivergent care navigator. So that's for parents who are trying to figure out how to get a reasonable education for their kids, get access to medical care for their kids, um, clinical support, what's appropriate, what's not. It's very hard to figure out what 
um, you know, there's a lot of people out of there trying to tell you to do a lot of different things with your kids. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I wanted to do was help parents evaluate what made sense for their kids. Um, so that piece, so I help, I help with all those things. And, um, but this thing I mentioned a minute ago, the relationship development intervention or RDI, um, was something I started doing through our local school system. They actually offer it for parents. And, um, and so I, I uh, could see how incredibly it helpful it was for my relationship with my children. And I thought, I want every parent to have this. So I decided to get certified in that. And so I work with parents to do what we call re- reestablish the guiding relationship because many parents say that they feel like they can't guide their children, that they they want to help their kids, they want to have a, a good relationship with them, and they can't for whatever reason. And so we just work together to help them understand, you know, who their kids are and how to connect with them. And um, and so that's that's RDI, and and it's with the goal of helping your kids figure out how to navigate a dynamically changing world, which is something that can be very hard for a lot of autistic people. And um, one of the things that we just want uh, autistic people and parents to understand is that it's absolutely possible for your kid to be able to do that. You just, you may have to teach your kids how to do that in a way that's different than how non-autistic kids learn to do that. And then the third thing I do is um, uh, uh, parent coaching for people who don't have autistic kids, but their kids are neurodivergent in other ways. Um, So we just call that parent coaching. All right. So I'm guessing it was your kids who really got you working, wanting to work with those who are autistic. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love working with autistic people. I love working with their parents um, just because I think that, um, honestly, it's just fun. It's really fun and interesting. I have a friend who at some point he said, if you understand autism, you understand the human condition. And I really think that's true. And I, I just, every day I learn more about what it, what it is to be a human being. All right. Now let's talk about the strengths a little bit. Okay. Now, why do you think those who have autistic strengths are overlooked in like work and in society. I mean, we are, we each have our own individual strengths. I mean, it probably comes from our, our um, special interests, but why are they overlooked? Why do the companies not say, oh, you're good at this. We can hire you for that. I think that a lot of employers um, don't, They don't understand how to communicate effectively with autistic people. So I'll just use as an example, um, my my older son was going through a program with one of these. So there's all these programs out there. He's 26, by the way. Um, There's all these programs out there for, you know, autism to work or, you know, whatever. And they, they do like a little internship program. Maybe they'll train you on how to be a good employee or whatever. And then they have you uh, do 
a program where you're actually doing the kind of work you'll be doing for a few weeks and then they decide whether or not to hire you. So my son did this, this program with one of these companies and they got to the end of the three weeks and they said, well, the quality of your work is excellent, but whenever we had team meetings, your camera was off most of the time. <laughs> they never said to him, hey, Justin, turn on your camera, right? Mm -hmm. They never said that. He would turn on his camera. He didn't know it was a problem. He honestly had forgotten that it was off. He, and, and so he didn't get a job for a reason that nobody ever told him was a problem. And I think this happens all the time. And I think the employers uh, think that, and I honestly don't think this is an autism problem. I think this is a like supervisor problem <laughs> that they just need to tell people what they need. If you're not doing it, then you tell the person like, I need your camera to be on. And by the way, these are programmers. Nobody turns their camera on. Oh. <laughs> I used to work in software and I'm telling you, nobody puts their camera on. So it was just a bizarre requirement for that job. So but anyway, if, if somebody's not doing something that you really need them to do, tell them, just say something. And I, I think that's a big deal. I think people are afraid to say something and they don't. And then autistic people are left trying to figure out what happened here. I don't have a clue what happened. Now, how can we identify the autistic strengths in, in those of us? So... One thing I would say is look at what you're interested in, first of all. So, you know, really going to, you know, one of the things I love about autism is this desire to dive deep on certain topics, right? Whatever, I mean, what you dive deep on versus what some other autistic person dives deep on is going to be different. So everybody has their own um, areas of interest. But when you look at those interests, then you can start seeing, hmm, you know, usually they've developed a lot of skill in that particular area because um, they're willing to really explore it at great, you know, in great depth. I, uh, I remember this one autistic woman um, we talked to as we were working on the book who was really into crocheting and she liked designing her own lace and she liked the patterns, right? So this is one mm -hmm. of the strengths you will see in autism is this ability to find patterns that other people just don't see in the world. Um, but she created the patterns with her lace and she would make this lace and just made these incredible, they were incredible. Um, and, you know, she was really into learning how to do the lace making and how to do the design work. But her interest was that and she created this, these incredible um, lace, you know, lace, all sorts of lace things, you know, lace fabric, lace collars, lace, um, lace shirts, lace curtains, whatever, you know, she just created <laughs> all these things. Um, and that's like, she had a really intense special interest in that, which drove her to get better and better and better at it. Um, and so I think looking at the interests that a person has is one, one way to do that. But one of the things that we talk about in the book is how the interests, I, sorry, about how the strengths are kind of, um, kind of the flip side of the diagnostic criteria. So it depends on the context in which it's happening. I'll give an example. Let's say you have uh, uh, 
you're, you're very sensitive to certain sensory stimuli. And I'll, I'll use this one because actually I'm, I, I have sensory issues myself and, um, and I have very sensitive hearing and that can be a real problem when I'm like at an outdoor concert or, you know, somewhere where it's loud, like in a restaurant where it's very busy, whatever, it can be a real problem. But I did audio engineering in one of my previous jobs and I was really good at it because I can hear differences that other people couldn't hear. And so I could do this audio engineering in a way that people had no idea I had edited, you know, the, the sound, you know, the way I needed to. And um, so I was really good at that. And that, that sensitivity looks like a disability in a restaurant or in a loud movie theater, but it's an ability when I'm doing audio engineering work, right? So mm -hmm. these things can be sort of the flip side of the criteria. So, you know, another one you might think about is one of those um, diagnostic categories is um, uh, they talk about repetitive behaviors, right? Well, guess what? If you need somebody who's going to do something the same every time, like I was just talking to a friend who runs a hotel and he hires autistic people to fold the sheets. They're always folded perfectly every single time and they never get tired of it. <laughs> That's awesome, right? You want yeah. an employee like that. And so like it can... You know, it's it's it it can be a problem in some other context where people don't want everything to be exactly the same. But in that context, this guy is super happy with his employee because you know he does it the same every time. He shows up to work like clockwork. Every he's there on time. Never calls in sick unless he is sick, and you know folds beautifully. Does a great job, and and I mean he's just a great employee. So you know, that's a strength, right? That he is mm -hmm. so reliable and, and careful about doing his work. And, you know, so that that's another example of a strength. So you can see, like, it just depends on the context, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you get passionate about the strengths of autism? <laughs> well, partly because I could see my kids had their strengths. And I was frustrated that other people couldn't see them too. The other thing Pete, that has been really challenging uh, or, or just uh, maybe it's interesting is that because autism is like a, a disorder, right? It's in the you know diagnostic and statistical manual um, for mental disorders, right? So we have come to understanding autism through a model of disability, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a, a good, we all have our stuff, right? We've all mm -hmm. got something going on. Every one of us has something going on. Some people's something going on has a label, right? Mm -hmm. So, and some people's doesn't have a label and they're just good at something or not so great at something else. So, this sounds off topic, but it's actually on topic. There was a book I read, a science fiction book I read a while ago. And um, the the premise of the, it was kind of a background piece in the book, which is that everybody in this community had a name that was their strength, mm. right? And so like 
Miss Innkeeper, right, was somebody who was really good at running a hotel for people. Um, and Mr. Carpenter was, you know, somebody who was really good at working with wood. But the idea was that everybody had a strength and then they would put them in the profession that matched their strength. I read this years and years ago and I thought that's how it should be. We should mm -hmm. all be figuring out what it is we're good at and then be allowed to do what we're good at. But the way the workplace works right now, it's if you go into a job and you're you're good at one piece and not so good at the other piece, they focus on remediating the thing you're not good at instead of saying, hey, how can we make sure this person is doing more of what they're good at? Um, so fast forward maybe 15 years after I read that book, I actually read another book called um, First Break All the Rules, which is a management book about what good managers do, which is they focus on the strengths. And then the follow-up book is called Now Discover Your Strengths. And so um, people can go read these books. They're really great. But the whole idea is that your employees are going to be more effective if you put them in jobs where they are doing something that really plays to their strengths. So instead of trying to focus on remediating all the things that are not going well, which just end up making a person feel broken, let's celebrate and really get, let them grow in the areas where they can excel. And that was all pre-autism that I discovered all this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like that was just sort of the framework I came at it with. And uh, then when I had my own kids, I very much understood the need for that because they were feeling really broken because people were always trying to fix them. And, and sadly, I was guilty of that initially. I, I got a lot better about it. And the minute I got better and started focusing on making sure they were getting what they needed, guess what? All the mm. other stuff just didn't look like a problem anymore. All right. How can we educate the teachers on autistic, autism strengths and show them, hey, your students have specific strengths that are autistic? How can we educate them and say, hey, listen, you're working with autistic kids. They have their own strengths, their own uniqueness. So it's a great question. And what it brought up for me was a story Temple Grandin tells about how she did not like any uh, English like any of her English classes. She didn't like writing. She didn't like reading in particular, um, but she really liked doors. She was really into doors and gates and how they worked. And so she had a teacher in third grade who said, okay, we're going to write poetry about doors. <laughs> and so <laughs> she just said, okay, that's your interest. I remember at the beginning, I started this out with like, what is the person interested in? I think right now our school system is not very good at allowing teachers to customize uh, for the students who are in their classroom. It's really problematic right now. Um, and I think it, it probably comes from No Child Left Behind where teachers are held to a standard of your kids have to be at some level instead of meeting your kids where they are. And I think that's really hard for teachers. Um, but I, I think the answer truly is like, what is, you know, I see this kid in front of me is am amazingly passionate about doors. So what can I do to, you know, help this, this kid really explore what they want to explore about doors? And that keeps anyone motivated. It's not just autism. This is every mm -hmm. kid, right? 
every kid has a strength. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think companies just don't want to deal with those who have, who those of us who are autistic and see our own strengths and use them for their advantage? Um, I think so. Some of it plays into that thing I was saying earlier about, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording. But this this idea that um, correcting someone is hard, so they they avoid conflict. So instead of just being direct and saying, "Hey, you know, this not turning your camera on is you know not what I want in this job," right? Instead of just mm -hmm. saying that, they don't say that, and I think. Um, uh, there are certain things that autistic people do that other people aren't quite sure how to handle it. So I'll just use as an example, I was teaching a class once and one of the class members was autistic and she had a tendency to talk a lot in class, mm. a lot. And so I, I actually know her, she's a friend of mine. And so I knew this was going to be a challenge in this class. And so I actually talked to her before the class started. And I said, so I know, you know, this is going to bring up a lot for you. And I know you're going to want to talk a lot, but I want to make sure that everybody in the class has a chance to speak and talk about what their experiences are. So I may have to cut you off you know, if I see you're going on for too long, because I, I just want to make sure the other people have a chance to speak. And she's like, okay, absolutely. You know, please do that because I won't notice that I'm doing it. And I just need you to do that for me. And I did, and it was fine. And so, but I think a lot of times we feel awkward about being that direct about something with someone. And, you know, she was aware that this was a challenge for her. She knew she's an adult. She's, been living with this her whole life she definitely got it and um and she was happy to have somebody who was actually willing to give her the guidance to mm. help her be you know kind to her fellow classmates i wish more people were like that like you who would say who would come up to somebody know they're autistic and say hey i know you have this issue can't let's work on it instead of just ignoring it and having a problem come up later Right. And getting frustrated by it when all you really have to do is just talk about it. Yeah. So where do you think autism strengths come from? Is it the special interest or is there more evolved in that? Well, there's more. There's more. There's way more. So, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Like, um, I, I feel like the, the way we organize the chapter is we talked about uh, different aspects of autistic strengths. So we talk about sensory strengths. I gave you the example of the audio engineering, but it's for all the senses, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody who's uh, really tuned into smell, for example, then <laughs> I actually have that too. Um, so <laughs> I'm the person in our house who can tell whether something's going to go bad in the fridge. Right. Wow. <laughs> you know, so my husband's always like handing me stuff and saying, is this edible? <laughs> I'm like, ah, no, it isn't. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, all, all of the senses, um, you can have strengths in each of those areas. So the thing about sensory stuff is you can be very sensitive, you can be not at all sensitive. 
Um, so one example, one of the people that uh, gave us some quotes for the book told us that she she actually, she's very fashionable. So she likes dressing in a very fashionable way. She has no sense of like when the clothing is too tight or, you know, whatever. And so she can wear things that look great that anyone else would be like, this is really uncomfortable. And she's just like, I look great. <laughs> so, you know, like that's a really that's not a strength you would think of as an autistic strength, but yeah. because she has this lack of sensitivity to that, then she can do things other people can't and she looks awesome. <laughs> so that's just a funny, oops, I'm sorry. That's just a funny example of, you know, a sensory thing that actually can play out as a strength being really sensitive to taste. Guess what? You might be an awesome chef because you can taste all the different things that are in the food, right? So thinking about all those senses and think, okay, if I'm, you know, are there contexts in which this might be a strength, visual acuity? So this is one that a lot of autistic people talk about that they see details in the environment that other people completely miss. Temple Grandin has this actually. And um, my, my younger son has this too. He sees things that I wouldn't see and they're often pretty important. Like I just miss them. And um, so I'm glad he's there. So somebody who's, I don't know, on the lookout for something and looking, you know, I'm thinking if you're, uh, I don't know, on a ship and looking for I don't know, whales going whale watching. I don't know. Like maybe you would be the person who sees those whales and realizes that you can go closer to the whales or I, I don't know. I'm just using that example because I went on a whale watch recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are sensory kinds of things, but there are also cognitive strengths. So memory, a lot of autistic people have incredible memories, incredible memories. And so they're really good at being able to remember, oh, I mean, some of the classics that you will hear people talk about are things like dates and schedules, sports statistics, history, right? Memory for all these things, you know, that other people don't have. And they're actually really important things to know about. Um, Another one we found was associative thinking. So um, unexpected associations between things like explaining data when an experiment didn't work out the way you intended it to, um, or uh, juxtaposing different themes in a work of art, right? These unexpected associations can actually be an incredible strength. Um, attention, autistic people have this like, narrow and intense ability to focus, which means it makes it possible for them to deep dive. So if you have, you know, a person who uh, has that narrow and intense focus, like you can have them do hard problems that they can focus on. They're much less distractible and they notice those details, right? And then this analytical thinking, like just be very methodical and mm -hmm. logically consistent and unconstrained by expectations. I think that's so important. So you're, you're just mm. looking at the facts of the case instead of thinking, well, it's usually like this. And, you know, no, it doesn't matter how it usually is. How is it right now? So they're less biased and they prioritize logic over emotion, right? Those are amazing strengths. And 
and we should be using those strengths. Mm -hmm. They're really, really helpful. I mean, I, you know, another area of, of, uh, cognitive strength is called system. So it's called systemizing in the UK and here in the U S it's called systematizing. Um, (laughs) but the idea is just understanding how complex systems work. So being able to really take, I'll just use this as an example because it's a personal fascination of mine, how clocks work, right? With gears and thinking about how all those different parts work together to create this incredible device, right? That keeps accurate time and so on. Like I, I just, I love clocks and I love looking at how the gears work and thinking mm-hmm. about how that works. So that's that's that ability to sort of, pull back and see the whole system and then zoom in and see how the individual components contribute to that big picture. That's another thing a lot of autistic people have. It's an incredible strength, right? So, so, you know, these are things that I think would, um, you know, if you knew about them, then you could say, okay, well, what kind of job could this person have if they're really good? So one of the things I'm talking about all these things, not everybody has, you know, these individual strengths, right? So these are things we see sort of across a lot of autistic people, but an individual autistic person, you know, might only have one of these or two or three of them, um, or all of them, who knows, like everybody's an individual. And so you just know that this is a thing to kind of look for in this person. What should I look for? Right? What's funny is that you mentioned that we think that we think analytically. Mm-hmm. I once went for an interview and the guy giving me the interview looks at my resume and he sees that I'm a web designer and I'm an IT person. He's like, he's like, you think both you think both analytically and and um, linear. I'm like, really? I never thought about that. He's like, yeah. because you got two, you're on two different spec, you're on two different things. You design webs and you do IT. They're two opposites of each other. So your <laughs> mind, and you're like, I mean, my both my degrees are like both ends of the IT field. One is the front end of it, and one's the back end of it. Yeah, that's super interesting, and and he's he's right, right? Like, yeah, I mean. I, I've never thought about that. I mean, when I went for my, no one ever told me when I went for my master's that you ha, you don't have to follow your bachelor's. Mm-hmm. You can change your topic. And I'm yes. like, okay, I'm going to go in for my master's. I'm just going to follow the degree, the direction of my math, of my bachelor's. And I wound up taking the most hardest topic I could in computer science and artificial intelligence. And it's, it's like the old adage, if you don't use it, you lose it. And everything I learned in school it's probably somewhere buried in the back of my mind. And it's like, how do I retrieve all that information I just learned? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, John Elder Robeson, um, in his book, Look Me in the Eye, he taught, so, you know, he designed, he did a lot of the audio engineering for the band Kiss, right? Mm-hmm. And he also did some some circuit design. I can't remember who his employer was before Kiss, but anyway, he did these very complex circuit designs. And later in life, he went back and looked at them and he couldn't even understand like why it worked, you know, 20 years out. Right. He just looked at it and he's like, my mind created that. 
And so, like you said, it's in there somewhere, but he works on, you know, he, he, he now works on cars and, and fixing uh, very fancy cars. And so that's, that's what he can do now, but he did do these other, you know, circuit designs and so on. Um, and, and yeah, it's in there somewhere. So anyways, how does someone, how does an adult with autism figure out what their strengths are? If it's not just only their special interests, how do they go back, go into their own life and figure out, okay, what is my strength and how can I use it? That's such a great question. I, you know, what's interesting about that read, I think a lot of people are kind of blind to their own strengths. And I don't just mean autistic people. I think a lot of people are blind to their mm -hmm. strengths. And so what I would probably do, I'm just thinking about this book I read called What Color Is Your Parachute? It's this really yeah. old book about like how to figure out I was doing a career shift and I worked my way through that. And one of the things he asked you to do was to go through your life and notice the things that were kind of constant from elementary school to middle school, to high school, to job, you know, and what was it about any of those periods of your life that really just um, that people seem to think you were good at and that you enjoyed? I actually mm -hmm. do think that just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's what you should be doing. You also need to enjoy what you're doing. And I actually think that's particularly true for autistic people. Um, and so, um, so I think looking at those themes through your life, what were you attracted to? What did people seem to think you were really good at? And just go through these different periods of your life thinking about what that was um, and, and seeing if you can you know, find what those themes are, those patterns in your own life. All right, now, how can a parent identify their own child's strengths? So for me, what I... There's a, there's a few things for me, what I did. So I just noticed what they were drawn to and that's the interest thing. Um, and I just fed, I just fed what I saw. So my older son, for example, was really into science and programming and stuff mm. like that. <laughs> and so he wasn't getting a lot of that in elementary school, like elementary school is about drawing and I, I don't know, a lot of art, which he had zero use for. And, um, and he, he would complain about it all the time. So I was like, wow, you're not getting enough science in your life. So I hired a science tutor for him. And she came over on Saturdays and they, you know, did science experiments and they, you know, built things together. And that was amazing. He loved that. And got to explore things much more deeply than he would have been able to. But it took me stepping back and noticing what he was drawn to, right? And my other son, he, it took him a little longer. So he wasn't as clear to me what, what it was he was passionate about. Um, and I've seen what happened with him in other kids too. Kids who struggle. So he struggled with writing right? Writing is not his forte or was not his forte, but he loved it. He loved writing. And at some point, you know, he just kept saying, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And his writing was stuck at a third grade level, even when he was in eighth grade. Mm. Right. And I was like, okay, you want to be a writer. We got to figure this out. Like we got to figure out how to help you do this. And so we actually had him work with a woman who specialized in 
um, teaching people how to be good writers. And he's actually still meeting with her. He's in his 20s and she helps him with his writing project. And um, again, I'm feeding those passions, you know, and letting him, but letting him drive it, right? Um, so I think the other piece of it is try to expose your kids to as much as you can, like different mm -hmm. sorts of things, because kids only know what they've experienced. And if they've only experienced one thing, and the thing they're good at is this thing, and they've never gotten it, that's a problem. So, you know, try to try to, you know, even if your kid's fussing at you a little bit about, oh, I don't want to go to that boring museum or, or whatever, you know, um, you never know, you never know whether it might be uh, something of interest. Now, I'm not saying torture them, <laughs> yeah. force them to do things that, that they don't want to do, oh. but at least expose them to it a little bit and just see, see where it goes and yeah. follow their lead. So those, those are some things that I did that I think were were helpful i did plenty of things that were not helpful <laughs> so. i mean i know from my own experience when i got back from school and i couldn't find work mm -hmm. my mom knew i loved writing mm -hmm. so i i looked for a writing class there in town. Right, right and i found it was a little bit expensive but i paid for it and the woman was nice and she was actually an accomplished writer mm -hmm. and the class before was taught by another writer who was her mentor and now she's teaching it and it's a writer's workshop and she wow. and she literally teaches how to go about how to go about writing from the standpoint of a writer and one of the first lessons i learned is when you're writing just write do not care about grammar don't care about punctuation mm -hmm. just write what comes out of your mind because the first draft will always be a mess yes <laughs> so, and she's like, some of the greatest writers took forever to publish their books because they knew what they were doing. They just, and she's like, some, there are writers who just throw stuff out and the, it was, the stuff was bad. The yeah. ones that waited longer were the ones who became accomplished writers and, and that are still talked about today. You know, if you look at some of those original manuscripts by some of these famous people, you can see how much editing they did. It's pretty mm -hmm. incredible, like scratch. I remember seeing some manuscript of Ernest Hemingway's at some point. And I mean, it was just a hot mess. <laughs> it's like scratched out, rewritten things in the margin. It was it was mm -hmm. clear that he just needed to think through and reevaluate and try again, revise, review, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Now, how can we get schools to identify with the strengths of those who are autistic and work with them and not against them? <sighs> so the challenge with that we talked about earlier, I think, and again, I don't think this is an autism thing. I think it's an all students thing. We, we've got to start helping kids you know, do the things that they are really good at, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think we do a pretty good job at that with things like athletics. So if a kid is really good at basketball, like we really encourage them to do that. Um, the, one of the things I think that is hard about uh, some of the autistic strengths is that these aren't things that they really teach you to do in school. 
So those mm-hmm. sensory things, for example, like audio engineering, I didn't know that was a thing when I was in school, right? I discovered that as an adult just quite by accident when I was doing software design for voice user interfaces, right? Like who knew that that's you know, where that would come from, but that wasn't something that I even knew about as a child. There, we're, what we focus on teaching kids is pretty, you know, it's reading, writing, arithmetic, social studies, science, right? Like we focus on those, but these areas of strength can be outside of any of that. And I think that's one of the hardest parts. Teachers have to teach to those core curriculum kinds of things but a kid is so much more than just that and so I think this is where it falls to the family the community you know and the teachers all thinking about the Mm -hmm. child as a whole person you know what is it about this whole person sitting in front of me yeah maybe they struggle with writing but you know they're a really incredible musician right so Mm -hmm. I think you have to look at the whole child. And I, I think people in different parts of a child's life are going to have different perspectives on that. A friend of mine, her son, <laughs> more audio engineering, um, her son is really into like um, uh, audio, uh, audio sound design for theater. So, um, and school was miserable for him. He was, he was terrible. Like school just was not his forte at all, but she got him involved with theater productions first through their church. And then they went and did it through, um, uh, through local theater companies. Right. And he Mm -hmm. just kept, you know, learning more and more about sound design and, and how to set these things up. And that's what he does for a living now. Um, so again, you know, just following through on what he was interested in and none of that was something he learned in school. That was all stuff he learned outside of school. So sometimes the answer is in school. If the strength is some Mm -hmm. school-based thing, sometimes the answer is outside, but I think looking at the whole child and not just those Mm -hmm. pieces that you're tapping on in your particular context. You know, what I think the problem, one of the biggest problems is people don't realize those of us who are autistic are like sponges. Mm-hmm. When we find an interest that we have, yes. we suck it up. Yes. We look everywhere else that we can't, if we can't get it in school, we get it somewhere else. We look online, mm-hmm. we look everywhere. That's why I think a lot of autistics kind of become hypochondriacs at times because <laughs> they, because if we get sick, what do they do? They go online they and they research look up- it. The research and look at women D, and that's when you have your parents go stop reading what you find online. You, you you're reading too much into it. <laughs> that is so true, and I'd never thought about that. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I used I used to do that all the time with medications. My mom's like, "Stop reading the side effects. You're not going to get all the side effects." You know, actually, one of my favorite websites when my kids were little, it's gone now. It was called crazymeds.us. And it was one guy (laughs) who had taken almost every psych med there was out there. And he would write about his experiences with those psych meds, side effects, what it helped with, what it didn't help with, and so on. It was great. It was so helpful and so comprehensive. (laughs) 
but I, I actually, I didn't know it at the time, but later did learn that he was autistic and his parents yeah. basically paid to, you know, let him develop that website and, and put that great information out there. Anyways, finally, where can people find out more about you and the Guiding Exceptional Parents? Oh, my website, guidingexceptionalparents.com. Um, so that's that's my main website. Um, the book that I wrote about autistic strengths in, um, mm -hmm. you can learn more about at isthisautism.com. And that chapter on autistic strengths, we end the book with that chapter. Um, and I didn't touch on some of the others, but communication style, mm -hmm. um, that's something. And humor is another another one. There are a lot of very hilarious comedians who are autistic right that i know i actually had a while back i had an autistic who was a comedian and an actor yeah 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 i mean you know they're like i think it's is it dan Aykroyd who's, who's dan Aykroyd yeah. is autistic i know daryl hannah is autistic right. um chris rock is autistic right right and uh i mean tig notaro is hilarious um and oh, what's her name? There's a very funny person whose name I'm completely blocking on. She's Australian, um, but she is very, very funny and she's autistic too. So yeah, there's all these really, really, uh, you know, the sense of humor. I mean, I find it hilarious, but um, I think it's more than just me because these people are famous for, for being funny. Um, so, you know, all these things matter a lot. And the last thing I did want to actually really um, mention about strengths is grit. So autistic people like are navigating the world every day and it's tough. And mm -hmm. they get up every morning and try some more. And that grit and perseverance is such a big deal. And so I, I just, I feel like I really want to highlight how important mm -hmm. that enormous strength is, that grit to just get up and face the day when you know it's going to be a rough day, right? And you do it mm -hmm. anyway. It's amazing. That's why I have a, uh, a little podcast I've done called Check-Ins, which is basically, for those of you listening, you can find it on my website at Asperger Studio, where it's just me saying, hey. Have you gotten out of bed? Have you had a drink of water? Mm -hmm. Have you said hello to your family, kissed your family pet? Have you gotten some fresh air? Has someone told you they're proud of you? And it's just a check-in to remind them there's still people out there looking out for them. I love that so much. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Anyways, everyone, that was Sarah Wayland, and I'm Reed Miles, and I'll catch you in the next one. See you there. <laughs> Thanks. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking, bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking, bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Shape shifting, same player, different position. The definition could stick with them. Drifting through these layers of wisdom. I took a break from tradition. I move away from what's expected. Change the music ride the way but keep the message question this dimension is still deception every entrance have good intentions no exceptions and leave the rest up to the heavens your only plan should be to seek and become yourself because more than half would you believe in was crafted to be misleading for the benefit of someone else 
wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking, bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking, bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't, I don't fit in. Hey, hey, yeah, I don't fit in. Applause. I don't walk right in the traps. While you closing in the walls, I'll be hoozing out the cracks. Sit and relax, don't breathe. These are the facts. Supposedly, stutters. Living a mask, suckers. Keep moving along to the beat. Brainwash, rinse and repeat. Keep pulling about with the sheep. I'll go. Got and Eve. Know what I mean? Probably not. Honesty shocks. It's fineness. The only box I'll ever fit in is the one that I die. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Hey, hey, yeah, I don't fit in. Hey, hey.